those days. But brothers, the brother of our Lord, James was that reluctant believer. But we know from history and from scriptures that James becomes a martyr disciple, a committed disciple of Jesus Christ. Um, he was the key leader in the early church. In Galatians, James is called the pillar of the church, a New Testament authority, a New Testament leader, a powerful man of faith. Recipients, who did he write it to? He wrote it to the 12 tribes, which are scattered abroad, says James 1 and 1. He wrote it to us in 2011 and years to follow. He wrote this book because he knew we needed some guidance. We needed some practical instruction. We, we needed some teaching that would help us on this journey called being a follower of Christ. When was it written? Somewhere between 45 and 50 A.D. But of all the New Testaments, I'm just amazed as I, as I look at this. It was uh, The church in those days was a predominantly Jewish institution. The church would go over to the synagogue, and as I told you last week, it was into the third century that they actually started building churches. They met, they met so much primarily in the home. It was a home church movement, but it was a powerful movement. And uh, so as I look at some statistics here, another thing, why did he write it? Let me get you to write this in the margin. This is good. He wrote it to help Christians walk through tough times. James knew that if you followed Jesus, it was going to be a price to pay, and there was going to be tough times and difficult, turbulent times in this world, and he wanted you to walk in faith, as we talked about last weekend from Hebrews. Second reason he did, he says, I want you to walk through tempting times. Life will be full of temptations, and we'll even talk about some of that this morning scripturally. And the third thing is, he, wants, he goes, and I want you believers, I want you to take your walk seriously. I want your matter of faith to be a sincere genuine matter of the heart that christ is transforming that he's changing you so the main theme i want you to look at it look at james chapter 1 verse 4 it's the main theme of the book perseverance must finish its work so that you may be you may be say it like you mean it you may be mature and complete not lacking anything I don't know about you, man. I am not excited about having a nursery at church in here. It's fine out on the front hall with little toddlers. I think they're really cute. Yesterday, we had Princess Day here at Christ Community. 35 girls gathered, and they learned from the story of Esther about being daughters of the king. It was a phenomenal celebration, and we had Cinderella and Belle and Snow White and Ariel. They all came from Disney World. Not really, but they look like Disney World. It was an amazing day. These little girls, and the goal, the goal is we're trying to get them to know the love of Christ and begin to walk with Christ at a young age, and they would grow up and mature and progress. And they were little girls, and then girls get bigger. But as you come in this room, as you come into big church, you need to mature. Let me tell you this morning, right here on the second row is Troy University today. They surprised me. They showed up, some of our Momentum students. Let's put our hands together and thank God for them. They're the church that meets at Troy. We love them. We're getting ready to start our fifth semester. They are amazing. We don't have a nursery at Troy on purpose. <laughs> you know, that like putting the cart before the horse. And sometimes people go, but when are y'all going to start a real church? Are we not a real church? We have started a church. Somewhere between 100 and 300 students gather in Jesus' name on Sunday mornings to worship the Most High God. But nursery... 
I just want you to know, I want you to get this through your spirit today. Grow up. Settle in. Become like Christ. That's what James would say. He goes, look, man, I don't want to keep repeating the elementary teachings. I want you to move on to some solid food. Well, let's move. i got a lot of ground to cover. The book of James, he talks about be mature, complete, don't lack anything. Now, there on your outline this morning, you'll see about staying faithful when tested. In verse 2, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, in this room today, you are experiencing trials. You have, you are, or you will. Here in one of those three camps. And trials are tough. Trials stink. Trials squeeze you. Trials make you. Trials mature you. And if I could have it the way I want it, but I'm not God, I wouldn't have trials for my life, and I wouldn't have trials for your life, and everybody would have plenty of money in their pocket, and you could eat all you want, and you wouldn't gain an ounce. You wouldn't have to go exercise. And, and you could just have all the kind of money and all the love and everything. Man, life would just be so good, and there would be nothing. But you're saying, that's not the way God did it. Because God knew that trials were going to make us dependent on him. As I live life, as I do life with you, I learn about the trials you're going through, the trials I'm going through, and it shapes us for a destiny that God has. Now, here's one of the places that I know about trials. Trials come from the outside sometimes. Outside situations and circumstances come, they, they're thrust on you and, and they're hard. And, and sometimes, you, you know, you didn't do anything. You just ended up in, in that environment, in that experience. And in verse 2, he says, but consider it joy when you face trials. But here's what I wanted to say. How can you stay positive when you're tested? How can you have a positive declaring faith when God seems like he's not there and things are going hard because if you'll keep your eyes fixed on Christ and follow him, trials will do two things. Write it down. They'll destroy or they'll develop you. They'll destroy your faith because your faith is really weak and no faith at all. Or it will develop you into being a more complete, a more mature disciple of Jesus Christ. But then there's another one here. Well, let me give you this. From J.B. Phillips, uh, I, I like different translations. This is one I got about 20, 25 years ago. I don't know if you can hardly find it now. He says, when all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. He's trying to give us a spiritual advice here. He's trying to say, man, welcome this. This is good. It will try. It will test. It will forge your soul. You'll become more like Jesus Christ if you'll hang in, if you'll hold the hand of Jesus, if you'll walk through it. But then there's a trial, temptation from the inside. That's that stuff that happens within your darkness of your soul. It's that stuff that has nothing really to do with the outside. It's, it's the inward core of you. Jeremiah would say, your heart is deceitful above all things. You're wicked. You're deceiving. You're conniving. You're manipulating. Have I said enough stuff to depress you yet? But we learned this morning in Bible fellowship that when we align with the Holy Spirit and we align with Jesus Christ and we align with the Word, our heart's desires, when they begin to center on Christ, they begin to center on the Scripture, things begin to work out. But this temptation from the inside, let me, let me see if this is going to do it for you. From the message in James 1.15, I like the way Eugene Peterson says, lust gets pregnant and it has a baby. It's sin. And when sin grows up into adulthood, it becomes a real killer. Is that fresh? That's the destination 
of sin. That's the outcome of sin, death. It, it grows, it matures, it develops, and it kills you. It robs your soul. There's no joy. There's no abundant life. There's no righteousness. There, there's no peace. And temptation greets us when we awake. I don't know about you. Did anybody get greeted this morning when you awoke or when you arose or when you began your daily disciplines? Temptations was right there. Uh, but temptations don't come without the permission of a loving father. Jesus, our, our Lord, he was tempted in the wilderness. And we read about the temptations in Scripture. And I want, I want to say this. Temptation is very potent. And it's most deadly. I want you to hear this. Temptation is the most deadly in your spiritual life when you neglect your time with God. When you choose to push the word aside and you don't have time for Jesus and you don't have time to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and you don't have time for the Father and you don't have time for Christian fellowship and Bible study, but when you personally say, God, not today, I don't have time to get in your word, man, you're setting yourself up. Man, I don't know about you, but does anybody ever get concerned about how dark your soul can get if you don't keep it surrendered to Jesus? That's not rhetorical. Does anybody get concerned besides me about how dark you can get? Do any of you think you're dark? You can be. I, I don't want you to be dark now. I mean, you know, but I'm saying, but we can be dark. Let me, let me give you some, uh, do not let temptation undermine your convictions. Let's, let's look at this. Warren Wiersbe, a great Bible teacher, commentator. Temptation is an opportunity to accomplish a good thing in a bad way out of the will of God. Ed Young, temptation is using God-given desires in a God-forbidden way. Thomas Akempis, temptation is not sin, but playing with temptation invites sin. See, some of you, some of you, you're like, man, but I'm spiritual. You are a spiritual being, but you go over there and you get right on the let me see. I'm getting there. I'm going to be there in a minute. You get right on the edge, baby. And you try. See, I get asked that question all the time. Pastor, how much can I get away with? How much can I sin and God still love me? I hate when y'all ask me that. That is not the question. God says, hey, back up. Pause. Get holy. Become holy. Become like me. Don't try to see how close you can get to sin. Try to see how far you can stay away from it, that you can flee from sin. But, you know, we get enticed. I understand. An ancient Jewish saying, as I was studying, says, God does not elevate a man to dignity till he's first tried and searched him. If he stands pure through temptation, then God raises him to dignity and to honor. When tempted, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write this down. When you are tempted today, pause. When you're tempted, pause. Don't run. Don't think about it. Don't entertain it. Don't embrace it. Don't decide to live it out because that grows up to death. Just pause. And as you pause, ask Jesus to come. Ask his grace to become more evident and real. Ask him to give you insight to overcome. Ask Jesus for a way of escape. And here's what I know. Jesus will hear you. And he'll let you escape any temptation. But I've learned this in my own sin cycle. If I don't pause, I'm in trouble. And so are you. Pause because everybody's tempted. Somebody says, man, I, I didn't know that. Listen to this. this I thought Psalm 50, 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you. 
Man, that's, that's one right there. Man, call out to God. God, man, I'm, I'm about to yield. I'm about to surrender. I'm about to blow it. I'm about to do something dumb. God, I'm about to blow it. How many of you think it'd be really cool? Like, you know, we live in this age of all these devices and electronics and gadgets, and I've got them, and, I, and, and, and alarms. I mean, it's really comical. If we went back about 20 years, you, you go to a restaurant now, and, and the phone goes off, and they got your ring. Everybody's doing this, you know, and we're reaching, and we're picking up phones. And, I mean, it's just like, man, you know, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? How many of you just love it? Have you, have you thought about taking a digital vacation? Have you thought about taking a, 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 a retreat from your stuff? Anybody thought about that besides me? Yeah, see, and, and can I tell you, I don't get excited about it. I want to be in contact. I want to be connected. I want to know what's going on. I want to get that email now. I want to get that text. I want to respond to that text as soon as I can. Man, it's wearing me out. Anybody worn out from all this texting and Facebooking and social media? And, and here's the thing. I just go ahead and get on the edge, and I'm trying to get there. But I got so many things going on now. They're trying to say, Pastor, you need to Twitter because cool pastors Twitter. And I know that, and I read a lot of cool tw tweets. But, but I got to tell you. I just can't quite figure out how to get it all on my schedule yet, but, but I'm getting there, and I know I need to, and I know somebody's like, oh, pastor, if you tweet, I'll follow you. I'm like, man, that's just something else to do, you know? But I get these tweets from pastors and people all around the country, and can I tell you, some of them are awesome. Some of them are just stupid. I don't know why they tell me some of this stuff. But anyway, just, just a thought. Let me get back to my notes. Okay. Temptation, it strengthens us for God's use. Every time you and I are tempted, it's about our future, it's about somebody else's future. It's about your faith. Temptation comes in various forms. And I, I wrote down two words. If you want to overcome temptation, write it down. Flee with your mind. Flee with your mind. Allow your mind to get out of that mindset, that demonic stronghold it's trying to overcome. Flee with your mind. Let me give you a scripture, Philippians 4.4. 4. And the second one is flee with your feet. Run from that temptation. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, you know, you're saying, man, something's coming at me, and if, if I could just learn to run from it, I could have victory. So here, here it is. This morning, would you take your temptation that comes today, this afternoon, tonight, or all the above, or tomorrow, and I think here's the key. Submit it to the authority of Jesus, and there's victory. But if you and I decide man, I, I don't want to bother Jesus. You know, he's got a universe to run. He's kind of busy. Or, you know, I, 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 I enjoy the pleasures of sin, so I'm just going to be tempted this once. It becomes a pattern. And, J, and Eugene Peterson would say, hey, ends up in death. Hey, man, don't, don't go there. But let me move to this next section with you because I want you to see this, James 2. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus if you favor some of the people over others? James is just, he just kind of cuts to the quick. I mean, he didn't want to be flowery. He just goes, look, you're doing this. You need to do that. He, he says, look, I want you to be compassionate. Be compassionate in how you live. Uh, don't discriminate, I think would be the word here. Don't discriminate toward others. I read this illustration about an airplane. I don't know which airline it was, but there was this airline carrier, this guy, he couldn't get on a plane, so he had to get on this uh, airline he'd never been on. It happened to me this, uh, earlier this year, me and the guys and Hannah, we went out to the Thrive Conference in Sacramento. 
And uh, we were looking for cheap rates because we wanted to be good stewards. And, and somebody said, let's fly Frontier. I said, Frontier what? And they said, Frontier Airlines. I've never heard of Frontier Airlines. And, 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 and we got a cheap seat. And I said, do we have to bring our own or do they have seats? They go, yeah, they got, they got seats. And, and we, we flew Frontier. And I got to tell you, Frontier was not a bad experience. I, I kind of enjoyed it. Matter of fact, they made my day on the way home. On the way back from California, man, God had met us. We had a great conference, and we're sitting there in our seat, and it was just like any other, you know, 747 or whatever, and we're flying home. And then the most amazing thing happened. Lady came out, flight attendants come walking down the aisle, but before she got there, this aroma hit the plane. And you, you got to know, I know food. And I thought, man, I think I'm smelling chocolate chip cookies. And this lady walked down the aisle with chocolate chip cookies that were just smoking hot for everybody on the plane. It's my new favorite airline, Frontier. Man, she wasn't like, look, sir, you bought the cheap seat, so let me tell you, you're going to get a crumb. And Mark, he bought a good seat, so Mark's going to get a whole cookie. And then Jeff, he did really good, so he gets two cookies. Man, they were just giving a cookie. Now, they didn't, I mean, if it had really been a good flight, they'd have given me as many as you wanted. They were kind of cheap, but they gave us one. Donnie, you'd have been proud. I had one cookie. That's all I needed. Well, I didn't need that. But anyway, but you know what I'm saying? We, we got this favoritism. I mean, like you get on another airline carrier and they have first class and they have economy and business and all this. And, and only one time that I get to fly up first class and that was a cool experience. But you get back there in the back and they have a curtain and they pull it. Well, this one airline, they just treat everybody the same. Well, that's what James is trying to say. Hey, don't discriminate. Let me get you to fill in some things here. Number one, discrimination is unhealthy. Discrimination is unhealthy. James 2, it says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wear a gold ring, fine clothes, and then a poor man comes in with uh, filthy clothes. And if you show special attention to the man doing what? Wearing the fine clothes, say, hey, here's a good seat for you, man. But say to the poor man, hey, you stand over there, Bubba. Or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? I just got to tell you, we cannot afford to discriminate in the body of Christ. It's not following Jesus. Let's look at the next one. Discrimination is illogical. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has he not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Just shouldn't do it. Discrimination is unloving. Oh, if you really keep the royal law, the royal law means you keep the supreme law found in Scripture. Love your neighbors yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin, you're convicted by the law as lawbreakers. So when you and I discriminate, I put a shadow on Christ. Discrimination is unchristian. What good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? No. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, hey, go in peace, keep warm, be well fed, but there's nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? You know, that's what I pray. Our church would be known not for just pure doctrine and the love of the word, and that's essential, but doing things. I, prom I challenged you a few weeks ago, and I need you to sign up today. I've been calling a principal of a local elementary school, and we finally made contact. It's a little hard to get an administrator in the summer months and the early parts. She's trying to get a little vacation time. We had a nice talk, and I told her, by faith, don't make me a liar. I told her by faith that we were going to tutor, we were going to coach 15 students in the fall. And the church said, I need you, church. Let me tell you who one of those coaches is. Me. I'm busy. You're busy. I'm tired of talking about a lot. I'm going to do it. Would you join me? 
Today, would you go to the information center after this service and sign up and go, let me be a coach? See, I counted a privilege. I've had so many years of education formerly. I've read thousands of books, written a book. And that's a gift I can give a child is to teach a kid to read because I believe if a kid can read, and my, I have a goal in mind. My goal is to get them to read the Word of God. But if a kid can read, a kid can achieve any dream. And the people said, so I'm calling you, man, this is practical stuff. I don't want to just talk about faith. I want to be the church that, man, we make a difference. We coach in Jesus' name. Let's look at the next one here. What kind of faith do you have? Dead, demonic, or dynamic? Man, James, if he's here this morning, he goes, man, your faith is dead. This, man, it's worthless. Man, you see poor people, you ignore them. You see needs, you ignore them. You see this, you discriminate. Or he goes, no, man, I'm stopping at that church on Ryan Road. That's a Jesus church. That's a church where everybody's welcome. See, I know we hadn't got this yet. Because this room would be so stinking packed, we'd have the adjacent parking lot packed with cars down in Chantilly, and I'd have to call Christian Brothers tomorrow and say, can we start parking cars in your parking lot, and could you provide a bus to shuttle them up to the church? Wouldn't that be cool? See, if we quit discriminating, if we really start following Jesus, and we really get in a dynamic faith, man, this place will shift. But I don't know. You know, somebody was asked, says, what's the main difference between Christianity and Christians? He says this. He says, well, I know Christians, man. He says, you know, they attend church more. But then he made this comment. He says, Christians are more judgmental, more critical. Oh, God, don't let it be true under the watch that I have here. So I made a note here, a wave of compassion. May it be released in this place. And, you know, dead, devoid faith, no but a faith that's dynamic, that's alive, that's vibrant, that changes the eternal destiny of little boys and girls and college students and men and women. See, I want to see everybody follow my master. And I'm reading a book right now by George Borna. He's the research genius for Christianity across the globe. And the studies I'm reading right now break my heart. 33 years following Jesus plus, 29 years as a pastor, and the church is making smaller difference today in America than it's ever made in the last 100 years, and it's fading quickly. The cults and Hinduism and Buddhism and all the other religions are beginning to gain on us, and they're overcoming us. It's time to have an alive faith. It's time for the church to wake up and be the church and say, we got to do it. Hey, if I hadn't got you, this one will get you. Whew, I do not like this verse. I don't know why he put it in there. Read it with me off the screen. Can you read it with me? Read this verse. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Master your mouth. Bridle your tongue. Does anybody have a hard time with that besides me? I'm a preacher. I get paid to communicate. I usually have no absence of words. You're like, well, you know that, brother. But this instrument that blesses God 
also gets me in trouble, but I found out it gets you in trouble too. So he begins to talk here about mastering your mouth, and he gives six metaphors, three of them here I'll give you, when he puts bits into the mouths of horses, you can steer them in verse 3, verse 4. Or he takes ships, they're steered by a very small rudder. He gives guidance and navigation. In verse 5, consider what great forest fire is set on, or what great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Uh, Ed Young said it this way, don't be a verbal arsonist. It destroys, it annihilates, it wipes out. God help us. Matter of fact, I'll give you this one. Like what John MacArthur says, the tongue is a tattletale that tells on the heart. It discloses the real person. Anybody ever been told on? My heart tells on me all the time. How about this one? Psalm 141, verse 3. Take control of what I say, Lord. Guard my lips. Everybody ought to write this verse down today. We ought to all say, God, I need to memorize that verse. God, I want to follow that verse. I, I want to be consistent with that verse. God, I, I, wanna, I want you to take control and then he goes on to this next section. Well, what causes fights in chapter 4 and quarrels among you? Do they, don't they come from desires that battle within you? And I would say, yeah. That temptation on the outside, but that temptation on the inside that we talked about earlier. Man, you're becoming a, a troublemaker. You should be a, a peacemaker. You're letting pride control you. And God says, I want to do something else. You see, I want you to hear this thought. When you decrease the amount of conflict in your life, you're becoming more mature. When you decrease the amount of conflict in one's life, you become more mature. More conflict, more immaturity. Less conflict, more maturity. Oh, God, help us. And then let's talk about these flags to raise. Number one, submit. Submit it to Jesus. God, I submit my tongue to you. I submit my personality to you. God, I submit these things to you. I want to yield to you. I want to follow you, Christ. Lord, I'm drawing near. I need, I need wisdom. We talked about that this morning in Sunday school. God, I need wisdom. God, I'm drawing near to your heart. God, come near to me. And then what? God, I'm humbling myself. You know, God says, man, he gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. If we'll humble ourselves, man, God will draw near. And God, help us to be a people that raise up our flags of surrender today and submit and draw near in humility. And oh, God, we want to mature. But then he goes to chapter 5, and man, I could spend all day, but my time's out. He says, the prayer of a righteous man, it's powerful. Oh, but it's effective. This morning, when Becky Bowden kneeled before the altar of the Lord God, and all those sisters, it was an amazing sight. And I believe that the people of faith on their knees, but also in this room that prayed, that it's going to result in a mighty revelation of God's goodness and fruitfulness in her, her life. How many believe that? I do, man. The prayer of righteous man, it's powerful, it's effective. He talks about the elders and leadership. Hey, go and get them and pray for you and anoint with oil and, and follow the Lord God and be a people of prayer. Stay hopeful whenever you're troubled. Hey, uh, I'll, I'll say this to you. Becky has started this ministry. It's called Watchmen on the Wall. So there's two things I want you to do today. I've got some direct applications today. I want you to go and I want you to sign up to be a spirit or a, a reading coach, a tutor coach. Can you do that, church? Hello? Can you do that, church? Let's sign up today. I hope we have, I hope I call the lady back and go, hey, I tell you what, our church got serious. We, got, we need 25 kids. Okay? 
And the other thing is, I want you to sign up to be a watchman on the wall. You don't know this, but the coolest thing is happening. Becky has this thing that the Holy Spirit gave her, and she's seeking God, and what she's proposed to us, we're having the scripture read over the entire church in 2011 in the church of Christ community. And you can sign up today. She has it all broken down by days. Right now, she's just doing July and August. And I invite you to sign up for a time. Becky, matter of fact, why don't you, why don't you go to the uh, visitor center and somebody just go by and say, Becky, sign me up. Becky, I want to sign up. Y'all, there's power when God's word goes over. Isaiah says, when the word of God goes forward, it doesn't return void. And we're believing God for a harvest of souls because we're praying. Here it is quickly. Oh, wait a minute. I, I got another handout. Oh. Well, uh, I'll give you the blank. Here it is. Christ is coming. Fill it in there. That's what James says. He says, Christ is coming. He says, God is working. He says, prayer is effective. And he says, forgiveness is available. His forgiveness is available today. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the people of faith that have gathered in this room today, God. And I pray that we would surrender afresh to you, Lord. God, I pray that there would be one or some today that would repent, they would turn from their sin and look to Jesus. That Jesus would be who he is, the Savior, the King, the Redeemer, the Lord, that they would turn to him today from their sin and look to him and be saved. I pray that some people today would be reconciled to you, Father, through Christ Jesus, through his blood. And Lord, it all happens when we receive you personally into our lives. I pray some today, Lord, would call upon the name of Jesus and have their sins forgiven. And they would experience new life. And then they would represent you well show themselves to be mature. God, I pray that today people are calling out in simple faith and saying, I want to be a Christian like James talked about. I want to be one of those practical Christians that doesn't have a dead faith, but has an alive faith, has a faith that declares the worship of the King. This morning, if anybody called on Christ or prayed that prayer, man, would you come and see me after the service? Would you let me know? I'd love to try to get some materials to you to try to help you in your new discovered walk with Christ. Father, it's been good to be in your house this morning. We celebrate the goodness of your name. I thank you for the first New Testament book that was written. And I thank you that it gives such practical advice and instruction to us as Christ followers. May we follow you hard with single-minded devotion. And Lord, may others know, I don't know about religion, but I do know about that Jesus and how he changed my friend's life and how he changed mine. God, you are faithful. Mature us until we meet again. In Jesus' name.